0: And so today we're uh, starting the book of Daniel, a new series. And so uh, as we do, as I've been thinking about this book for the last oh couple months now, uh, preparing for this, and just thinking about all the headlines that I see daily. Uh, every day I feel like I wake up and uh, I see either on the news or I read a headline or I see things... And uh it's like craziness day over day. Like the next day is like, kind of almost don't want to read the headlines. Like what's coming next in the things that are in front of us? And, and as I read and I think about what's going on in the world, oftentimes I just stop and go, what in the world? Like, what is happening right now? So many things feel like that. Maybe you feel like that when you see what's going on in the world and the things that are kind of coming at us every day. It's easy to read headlines, to look at, what's happening in the world, what's going on and feel bewildered, um, depressed, anxious, maybe angry, maybe sad at different times. And uh, probably for the first time in my life, I, I kind of get uh, at this point in my life, the people that are always saying, is this the end times? Is this it? Is, is Jesus about to term, come back? Is, is this the end? Uh, my whole life, I've heard people say that growing up in the church, but I can understand why people say that. And kind of where that comes from, uh, you know, in Romans chapter 8, Paul's writing uh, about the effects of sin on the world and how God is working. And actually in, in Romans chapter 8, I believe starting in uh, verse 22, he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption's as sons the redemptions the redemption of our bodies and he's talking about sin being in the world and feeling it all around us and he uses that analogy there he says it's grown we're groaning under the the sin of the world and he uh, he likens it to the pains of childbirth and i, I often think of that as like uh if you've been, seen a birth of a child, uh, I've been there for three of them, front row seat for three of them, as, as it gets closer to the birth, contractions get more intense and it gets more serious and they, they get really intense and then they let up and then they get tense and they let up and they get closer together. And I often think about that like in history, what Paul's talking about there when he says the world is groaning under the weight of sin. And we see that. The think about the contractions getting more intense and then they loosen up. And it's been that way since the, the first century. Actually, it's been that way in all of history, but we've seen that clearly since Paul wrote those words in Romans, that that's happening over and over. And it's a good analogy. As we get closer to the end, as we get closer to Christ returning, that they get more intense and they may get closer together. And oftentimes we look around the world and we think, is this it? We're moving closer and closer to this. And so we ask those questions. We go, well, are we in the last days? And we say that at different times because of the things that are right in front of us and we feel that. And so we ask those questions, are we in the last days? And if we're to define it biblically, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. The Bible says yes. Now, I'm gonna define what that means because the Bible says the last days are all the days between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. That's the way it defines it. So technically speaking, as far as the Bible is concerned, we are in the last days. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus could return at any moment that we are to live expectantly, we are to be eagerly awaiting, we are to be saying, as, as John says at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, that we are eagerly awaiting his return. But maybe the more pertinent question is, instead of are we in the last days, is Jesus' return imminent? Is it in my lifetime? Is it in this generation? And the answer there, biblically, is we don't know. Maybe. Seems like it could be. It's possible. Uh, The truth is, we may just be in one of those contractions right now. We look around at the world and what's going on, and maybe we're feeling one of those. And it may ease up. We might see great revival. Things might change markedly in the next generation. Jesus may return in my lifetime. He may return a thousand years from now. We don't know. But the answer is, when we look at all the things that are going on. Around us, We don't know the answer of that, but what we do know is that the way we are called to live in the world where God has placed us. That doesn't change whether Jesus returns tomorrow or in a thousand years. And so I I start there and I say that because as we start the book of Daniel, it offers us great help in how we live in the world today. The times that we're facing. You know, sometimes we think we're in the end times and it's right now because of what we see right in front of us. But the truth is there's been lots of difficult seasons throughout the history of the world. So much so that I'd even tell you as we start the book of Daniel, Daniel has a front row to the contractions of of the sin in the world that probably far outrun anything we've ever seen in our life. He deals with all sorts of horrible things right in front of him. And he sees that very clearly. And so as we start the book of Daniel, we get a a great help on how to live in the world where God has placed us. How to be faithful and continue to seek the Lord in all things. And so today as we begin the book of Daniel, uh, this really is gonna serve as an introduction. We will work our way through all of chapter one next week. But this week, we're really just gonna get through those first few verses. And here's why I wanna do it this way and start this way is I want us to kind of ground who Daniel is and where he was and what was going on in history that the book makes sense to us, that we can kind of get our, our, our bearings and then next week we'll really kind of dive into the book and work our way through it. But as we do, it it's important for us to kind of know how we got to this point and where we are in Scripture and and how to see it. I think of it sometimes as like when we open a book of the Bible, like now we open Daniel. And it's like if you're watching a, a television show that's that's ten seasons, We're jumping into like season six, right? We're all of a sudden right in the middle of all of it. And we kind of need to know what happens on one through five to really understand what's going on here. And so today I want to kind of get us up to speed of where we are in the history of what God's doing as we read throughout scripture to get us to this point in Daniel. And then secondly, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you just a real quick big picture overview of the book of Daniel. And then lastly, we're going to talk about a couple themes that are repeating that are so vitally relevant to us today, just as they were to Daniel then. And so let's just start with big, big idea here, big picture of what's happening and how we get to the book of Daniel. And so I'm going to take you from the beginning, Genesis to Daniel, half half the sermon here, maybe two thirds of it. And so we're going to go all the way through the Bible to get to Daniel. So we know where we are when we get to Daniel. And so when we go back at the very beginning, the Bible actually tells us quite a lot about our origin and where we come from and why and what God's doing and the way he's made us. And so if we go very back to the beginning of Genesis, it talks about God creating us uh, and what he has made us to be. He's made us to be in relationship with him. He's made us in his image. He's made us to rule and reign over his good creation underneath his authority and his power. We see that right in the very first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates man to know and to love him. He makes us in his image and then to love other people. And so God creates us that way to, to, to live underneath God's care, uh, under his wisdom, to follow him, to see him in all things, and then go out and, and help rule over his good creation with him over us. And so we see that from the very beginning as God establishes man and woman and puts them in the garden. And you read through that in Genesis one and two, but then what we see almost immediately is that because God has made us in his image, he gives us real choices with real consequences. We actually talked about this last week as we were finishing the Lord's prayer and talking about, lead us not into temptation and the temptations that come in our life, that we have real choices with real consequences, that God allows us those real choices And in giving us real choices, with that comes the possibility that we choose to ignore God and the world he created. I say this all the time, but to ignore God and the world he created is what sin is. It's the way the Bible defines it. When we rebel against the things that God has told us in his world and the way he created it, that's what sin is. And so right there from the beginning is God places the first people on earth and he gives them dominion over it. Almost immediately, they choose to rebel against God. You can read this whole story in Genesis chapter three. And we'll do the the very short version. There's a whole lot to what happens there. But what you see in Genesis three is God places them in the garden. A snake shows up and tempts Adam and Eve. And if you know the story, the snake comes along and tells them, you can be just like God. You don't actually need God. You can be just like him. And that's the temptation that draws them in to which they quickly seize onto. And what happens? Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve rebel against God. And suddenly there are all sorts of consequences and problems that come with that. But right there in the middle of that very first story in Genesis chapter 3, God turns to Eve and he tells her that through her seed is going to come one that will crush the serpent. We find out later in scripture that the serpent is Satan. Satan a fallen angel, a created being that God has created in which he gave real choices and real consequences to and the angel rebelled against God and is now seeking to destroy his good creation. And we see that right there where he makes the promise. It's what we call the proto-evangel, the first good news of the gospel that one is gonna come through the seed of Eve and crush the serpent's head. And it's right there at the beginning in Genesis chapter three. And so God is going to provide through the seed of the woman. But what we see from that point on all the way through history to where we are today is that we constantly have the choice of are we going to follow the seed that the serpent plants, this doubt that you can do it without God and you can be the center of your world and you don't need God, or are we going to follow the seed of the woman, the provision that God is providing for us? And we see this repeating all the way through Scripture. It's a constant temptation. It's a constant battle. Are we going to follow God and trust his provision? Or are we going to do it ourselves and make it all about me? And so we see this repeating all the way through scripture. It runs all the way through the Bible. It doesn't take long. You you get that and and here's God's promise of how he's going to do this through the seed of the woman. You turn the very next page, the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and we're introduced to Cain and Abel and we see this temptation already. God says to Cain, are you going to trust me and follow the things I tell you? Or are you going to go on your own? And what does he do? He goes on his own and he ends up murdering his brother. You get to Genesis chapter six. and it tells us that the people were doing evil continually in the sight of the Lord, except for one man, Noah. And again, you see the same thing. Are you going to follow the seed of the serpent? or Are you going to follow the provision that God has set forth? And so God chooses no, and pulls him out says, I'm going to continue to do a work in and through you as he is in the line from the seed. And we see that repeating and we see it over and over again. You get to like a book of Judges, you know what the summary statement of the book of Judges is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes over and over and over again. And you see it not all the way, not only all the way through the Bible, you see it Today. It's the exact same thing. Are we going to trust God and his provision? Are we going to make it all about me and what I decide and what I want? It's rampant in our culture. We have gotten to the point where you are so seen as the center thing in everything that you can decide what gender you are. That is your choice. That's what our culture says today. You can change your biology, which you can't, but you can say you can Because you're central in everything. You don't have to give any sort of deference to your creator. And we see it today. We see it in everything. We see it all the way throughout the Bible over and over. One of the most clear stories is right there in Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. You know the story that's in Genesis chapter 11? It's what we call the Tower of Babel. And the people gather together and they say we're going to make a great city and we're going to build a huge tower. And we're going to do it so that we can make a name for ourselves. That's what they said. So it says in Genesis eleven we we're going to make a name for ourselves. I, I was reading that and I was thinking about how this is so repeating all the way through history and even today. And I was so struck as I read Genesis 11 this week. Is that not what we're doing today? The three richest men on the planet are trying to see who can go furthest into space to make a name for themselves. It's the exact same thing. It's never changed. It's still there. And so if you know the story of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, God comes down and confuses their language because they're using all their ingenuity and all the gifts that God's given them not to glorify him, but to make it all about themselves. And he scatters them. But out of the remnant of the Tower of Babel, of that great city they start to build, comes a city that we'll see repeating throughout scripture. And it's not just a city, but it almost represents a bigger idea than just the city. Because out of that grows one of the great cities of the ancient Near East known as Babylon. And it will be a city that stands as a beacon of one of the biggest cities in the area for almost 2,000 years. And you see that Genesis right there in Genesis chapter 11. And what happens, and we see this all the way to the end of scripture, is that Babylon becomes a symbol for human institutions that demand allegiance to its idolatrous embracing of the seed of the serpent. You can do this. You can make a name for yourself. You can be all about you and you don't need God. And Babylon stands as a symbol of this all the way through scripture. And so you have that in Genesis 11. And then right after, in Genesis 11, we're introduced to a man at the end of that chapter named Abram, who God will later change his name to Abraham. And if you read closely, if you read your Bible closely in Genesis 11, Abram and his family are from a place called Ur of Chaldees. And what we know later on, as the Bible kind of fleshes it out for us, is that Abraham grew up in the shadow of Babylon. You get to Daniel, which we're going to get to in a minute. We get to Daniel, and in chapter 1, in verse 4, it talks about how they brought the Israelites in And they made them to learn the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians, same people. And so Abraham, who was living there, who was from there, God calls him out. And what does he say to him? He says, I want you to pick up and I want you to move. And you're going to go to a land that I'm going to give you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless the world through your seed. He calls him out of Babylon so that I can bless the world through your seed, which is the promise that God gave to Eve. The seed of the woman, the provision that God is going to give to save the world out of Babylon over here that he might do this work that God is going to bring about through the seed, which we find out later on is Jesus. It's always pointing us to God's provision for us. And so we see this story repeating over and over throughout the Bible. It's not just with Abraham and his descendants, but then after him, it's with Egypt as Israel grows into a great nation, what happens? They're put into slavery in Egypt, the Babylon of the day. And so God calls Moses and tells them to bring them out. And Moses leads them out. You know the story in Exodus. Let my people go. And they go out and they go out into the desert. And what happens almost immediately? All of Israel is like, let's go back. We're going to die out here in the desert. I'd rather be a slave in Egypt than out here. And the allure of Babylon, of ignoring God, of going back to these comforts, of embracing the things of the world rather than the promises of God are repeated over and over and over and over again. We see it all the way throughout Scripture. You see it after Moses with Joshua They finally get to the edge of the land that God's going to give them. And God says to Joshua, you're going to go in and take the entirety of the land. And I will drive the people out in front of you. And they don't do it. Instead of being set apart and holy to God. Showing what God is like in everything. They syncretize with the people there. And they introduce all sorts of mess. You see it by the end of Joshua If you know your Bible, Judges follows Joshua. You see that that gets into everything. Judges gets really ugly really fast. If you haven't read that in a while, I think it's rightly said of the book of Judges. It is a picture of a downward spiral. The book of Judges takes place from about 1400 BC to about 1050. And it's seven cycles of sin that just go down. And it goes quickly. You get to the end of the book of Judges and you see what happens when God people embrace the idea of Babylon. And it is ugly. If you haven't read it in a while, Judges is hard. You get to the end of that book and it is an ugly picture of what happens when we ignore God and the world he created and embrace everything else. And so I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. You go from the end of Judges, thousand fifty. And the people cry out to God and they say, we want a king to be like the other nations. They even say that we want to be just like the, we want to be just like Babylon. So give us a king. So that works okay for Israel for a while. They get to the height of their power under Saul and then David and then Solomon, but they get to about 900 BC and that starts to crumble. Israel's ripped in two. You have in the north, Israel, and in the south, Judah. It becomes two kingdoms. So God's people that He has called out to be set apart and different, He's given their law, He's shown them how to show the world what He is like, and they start to look just like the rest of the world. The northern kingdom has 20 some odd kings, and not a single one of them cares about God. And it's a disaster. And so what happens to Israel in the north by 722, God allows the Assyrians to be raised up and they destroy Israel. Half of it's taken out. And then the southern kingdom, which has a mixture of a few kings that actually seek to honor the Lord, that seek to make much of him. But for the most part, it's pretty bad. They last about another 125 years. And in that time, as that's going on, and they're rebelling against God, and they're seeking to look like just the rest of the world, God sends the prophets. Guys like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and their one job is to come and and herald who God is. And we follow God. We do not follow the world. We do not want to be like Babylon. We want to be called out of that and set apart and holy and showing what God is like. And if you know Ezekiel and Jeremiah, two really difficult books, they are faithful and no one listens. And so what happens is in 605 BC, at the time, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, have raised up and they are now the greatest nation on the planet. And they come in and they take over Jerusalem. And so here God has been calling his people out of Babylon To come to me. And now because of their rebellion, God says, fine, have Babylon. And so they do and they come in 605 BC in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah into his hand. God says, okay, you want Babylon, have Babylon. And so in 605, they come in and that's where the book of Daniel starts. And they take out the very best and brightest and take them back to Babylon. And it tells you that right there in verse three and verse four. Youth without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So they took them back to indoctrinate them into Babylon. Not just the symbol, but the literal Babylon in this case. And they take them back in. And so Daniel is one of those that goes in. Most scholars believe he was probably about 15 years old when he's taken in in 605 BC. Right after that, what we know happens, takes about 19 more years, but 586, they end up destroying Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. They burn it all down. They lay waste to all of it. And Daniel sees all of it. He has a front row picture of every bit of this. And that's where the book of Daniel begins. And so the book of Daniel has a lot to teach us about living in a world that is adamantly opposed against who God is and what he's doing. And so let's just think for a second big picture of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel begins there in 605 BC and it will take us all the way. Uh, the, the very last chapter written is about 537 as we get to the end of it. And so Daniel sees all of the time of the exile of Israel in Babylon. And so he starts as a very young man and he gets way until his late 80s and he sees all of this take place in front of him. But the book of Daniel helps us In a couple ways, and we could really divide it into two parts when we think about the book of Daniel. One is it's stories of Daniel and his friends and what it looks like to live in Babylon and how to be faithful and how God is faithful to them in the midst of that. And so it's just stories of what's happening there. And there's some crazy things that happened to Daniel and his friends. Chapter one, you see them get taken into the king's court and they make some decisions right away on how they're gonna honor God with their lives in the midst of that. Chapter three and chapter six, we see intense religious persecution and how they stand in the midst of that. Chapter two and four and five, we see that God is sovereign over kings and what happens when pride gets the best of us and what God does in those cases, how he shows that he is still in control in all things. But then we also see in in chapter two and in seven and then eight through 12 at the end, these visions that God gives Daniel and he gives to the king to which Daniel then interprets. And it shows us clearly, despite what's going on in the world, despite nations that rise and fall and the things that we see in front of us, that God is ultimately in control that none of this is happening outside of his sovereign care. And Daniel sees that. And so really the book is kind of divided into the stories of them in the midst of Babylon and the vision that God's given and how he's working throughout history. And so there's a lot for us to glean and to learn as we spend time in Daniel together. But one of the themes that repeats over and over, and we'll see this throughout Daniel, is that God has made people in his image, to rule on his half and to humbly follow him in all things. But yet when we don't and we embrace Babylon and the things that come with it, and when I say embrace Babylon, we embrace human institutions that demand allegiance to the idolatry of ignoring God and everything. What it shows us is it's disastrous and we become devouring beasts. And we're going to see that actually in his visions over and over. Very clearly played out what that looks like. And so as we make our way through it, it helps us to see, to discern the times and what's going on around us. That God is faithful and he is sovereign even in the midst of Babylon. And so I hate to even say this. But it is so timely for us, I think, as a church to spend time together in the book of Daniel because, friends, we live in Babylon. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're there. Just as Daniel did, we do too. We are in it and we are surrounded by it. And it doesn't mean we should be fearful. It doesn't mean that God is not in control. But it does mean that we need to look to God for his faithfulness in the midst of all of it. And so there's two things here as we end, just two themes that keep coming back over and over throughout this book. And we'll end here and then we'll jump in and and, and work through chapter one next week. We're going to spend about 12 weeks in Daniel. It'll amount to about uh, a chapter a week as we go through these stories together. But as we do, there's a couple themes that keep coming back over and over that are so relevant to us. And the truth is just as Daniel stands in Babylon. Babylon is alive and well today and it is surrounding us in so many ways. And its call is to assimilate, to turn from God and embrace these things. And we see that in this book. But what we see is that when we continue to trust God, we continue to look to him, to cling to him in all things, he is faithful even in the midst of Babylon. That he is sovereignly in control and he is at work in that. And so I want you to think about this this week as we we start to go into Daniel. Are there areas in your life where you've embraced Babylon? You've let the culture of the world stand over and inform how you're living and what you're pursuing and what you're seeking over what God says. Because this whole book is about trusting God in everything, being faithful to him and his faithfulness to us in the midst of that. And so I would just ask you that question as we think about it. Are there areas of your life where you're not fully trusting what God has said, but you're starting to listen to the world more? Now, there's a couple ways to think about it. Sometimes it's really, really obvious. There's certain things that our culture says and you go, that is not right. That is not what God says. And it's so blatant and it's so clear. But a lot of times what happens is it's kind of like the old analogy of the frog in the pot. We don't even notice. We're so inundated with it at all times that we don't even realize that we started to go down that road to embrace the things of Babylon rather than the things of God. And so I would just ask you this week as we prepare to walk through Daniel together, ask God to show you. Are there things that I am missing that God would have for us? Have I exchanged the truth of God for a lie and started to embrace some of the things of today rather than what God has called us to? God is faithful And he loves you. We see this repeating in the story of the Bible over and over. He won't leave you in that. As you continue to ask him, he will show you. He will call you out of those things. And so I would just ask you this week to continue to ask God, what does that look like? Where are the areas where I've embraced the world over what God has said? But then the second thing, and we'll end here today. When we think about our times, I said at the beginning, I read the headlines and it's easy to become anxious or fearful, or angry, or you look at the things that are going on, be bewildered about what's happening. And I want to encourage you before we leave something that it says here that maybe you didn't catch right at the beginning. But look at the very first two verses of the book of Daniel. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That is the historical retelling of what happened. There was a king, And they were there and God allowed, and then they came in and they took over, right? They besieged the city and they overtook it. That is the historical retelling of what happened. Verse two is the theological retelling of what happened. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God allowed this to take place. God is sovereignly in control of all of it. And he allowed this to happen for their good to draw them out. And as we work our way through Daniel, we'll go back, we'll kind of circle back to this. But you see throughout history in the New Testament, how God uses this deportation and all the things that are happening here for the spread of the gospel later on. It is always God allowing for our good and his glory, even when we can't understand how that might work. And so right now we are in Babylon in a whole lot of ways. And it may be that it gets worse before it gets better. We pray that God would bring revival and that he would bring a new work and that we would see things change right in front of us. And God can and will do that in so many ways, but sometimes it gets worse. And if it does, God is sovereignly in control for your good and his glory. There is nothing outside of his hand. There's nothing for you ultimately to be afraid of. There is nothing that should ever take us away from what God clearly calls us to because of what's happening in the world, because he is faithful and he will do it. And so when you look at the world and the things that are there, take great comfort in what it says here, that God is in control of all these rising and falls of nations and everything that's happening, that he is on his throne. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the good news of the way that you are working throughout history. We thank you that you, even in our rebellion, continue to pursue us, that you continue to call us out unto yourself. I pray that as we look around in our world and we seek how to diligently follow you in light of everything that's going on, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment, how to love you and to love others, how to not make it about us and what we're doing, but about you and who you are and what you're doing in all things. And so we pray that you would continue to lead and guide us in all truth. I pray that as we spend these next few months in the book of Daniel, that you would just remind us of your great faithfulness in all things, that you would show us so clearly the plans that you have for us and how they are far better than anything that the world, world can ever offer. <clears throat> we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.